Nike put out a commercial a few years ago. Maybe some of you have seen it. If you haven't, I'll kind of draw the picture for you. If you have, maybe after the service, you might go Google and look it up or maybe put it on church website or something. But it featured uh, the university, the student athlete of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater named Matt Scott, who's a part of the basketball team there. And I think in many ways a real powerful commercial. And I think at the very least for us today, a great springboard or segue to kind of talk about what I think might be important for us today considering our readings. And I have the script here for the, for the uh, commercial. I'm going to read it to you. And if you haven't seen it, I want you to have it in your mind. He's a student athlete, a younger guy, good-looking guy, and, you know, well-built and all this stuff. And he's in a gymnasium, okay? And as he's in this gymnasium, sometimes as he's, the camera's focusing in on him. Sometimes he's got a basketball, he's dribbling. Sometimes he's got two of them. Or sometimes he's shooting the ball as he's talking. And other times he's just making his way around the gymnasium. And as he's doing this, he's reminding, I think, all of us um, of some things that we've probably heard before. And as I get going, I think you'll kind of understand what he's talking about. But let me, let me um, read this to you real quick, word for word. I'm too weak, too slow, too big, ate too much for breakfast, got a headache. It's raining. My dog is sick. I can't right now. I'm not inspired. Makes me smell bad. I'm allergic to stuff. I'm fat. I'm thin. It's too hot. I'm not right. I've got shin splits. Headache. I'm distracted. I'm exerting myself too much. I love to really, but I can't. I just can't. My favorite show is on. I got a case of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. After New Year's, next week, I might make a mistake. I got homework. I feel bloated. I have got gas. I got a hot date. My coach hates me. Mom won't let me. I bruise easily. It's too dark. It's too cold. My blister hurts. This is dangerous. Sorry, I don't have a bike. I didn't get enough sleep. My tummy hurts. It's not in my jeans. I don't want to look all tired out. I need a better coach. I don't like getting tackled. I have a stomach ache. I'm not the athletic type. I don't want to get sweaty. I have better things to do. I don't want to slow you down. Do I have to do this? As soon as I get a promotion, I think I'll sit this one out. Man, my feet hurt. And it's at that very last moment that Matt slams to the ground two basketballs. And if you haven't already figured out by the commercial, Matt is in a wheelchair with an amputated foot. And the title of the commercial is no excuses. Matt's basketball team is probably the best in the country that many of us have probably never heard of. It's a wheelchair basketball team. No excuses. I'm sure most of us know that uh, excuse making isn't just for the wannabe athlete, is it? And it's not just coaches or athletes who've, who've done more than people thought they would that get to hear excuses either. Tricks might be for kids, but excuses are for everyone. And, of course, excuse-making covers every facet of life, even including and sometimes especially including our faith life. I don't know so much. I wouldn't know where to start. Nah, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. 
He's better at it than I am. She's more prettier. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe tomorrow. Oh, I prayed in the morning already. I gave at the office. I'm just not into that. That's for those crazy people. No, I don't think so. Maybe tomorrow. I went to church on Easter. I can't do it. And all these kinds of excuses we can have until God does something funny and drops somebody like you, like me, excuse me, in front of you. Because here's the funny thing. There's probably, probably one other person in the world who's more surprised at what I'm doing today. And usually she sits over there. But now she's over here today. You never know what God is calling you to do. But sometimes the flip side of that is true. A lot of times we know exactly what God is calling us to do. But here come the excuses. And if that's you or me, I will tell you the good news is we've never been alone, have we? If we read the Bible, the Bible is full of characters who were pretty good excuses. Makers. Think of Moses, right? God tells Moses, I got something for you to do. This is what you're going to do. Da, 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 da. What's the first thing Moses says? I can't do that. You know, my speech and everything, I, I can't do it. Seems like a pretty good excuse. Think about what we read from Jeremiah just a little while ago. God is showing Jeremiah that he will be a prophet to the all nations and all kingdoms. And what does Jeremiah do? He gives an excuse. (laughs) What do I know? I'm too young. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to follow me. And if I wasn't such a good excuse maker myself and and didn't know it, I'd be reading that. I'd be real tempted to read that and think, man, Jeremiah, what kind of excuse do you think you can come up with that would be able to top the creator of the universe telling you, I am with you. What excuse can you compare to that promise? Well, listen up, right? There's plenty of excuses. Of course, Jeremiah had his. Dare we say sometimes we can have ours. We know Jesus also had a call, and we've been talking about that call, and we have talked about it in several different ways. And uh, for today's story, there's so many different angles to look at what the story might mean and some of the implications it could have for our faith and our church and all those kinds of things. But there's one thing in particular I want to draw out. And it's not so much anything that's in the text necessarily. But I have to kind of believe that Jesus knew what would happen to him. Right? If you remember, we started this story in Luke last week. And we said Luke, uh, Jesus sort of gave his inaugural address, right? And told everybody this is what he was going to be about. And this is what his kingdom was going to be about. And this is the, Latin, the second part of that story. And at first, people are like, yeah. And they're clapping, hooping, and hollering. And they got the foam fingers, right? And they're yelling, this is good. And then I don't know if Jesus sees something in what they say. Or he sees something in, in how they respond or what they're doing. But he sees something. Because then he says, well, okay, I I bet I know what you want me to do next. You want me to put a show on for you, right? You've kind of been hearing about things that maybe I've done other places. You want me to do that here, right? 
Yeah. I think that's what they wanted. And I think Jesus saw that and he says, that's not what this is about. And so he told them, that's not what this is about. And then he reminded them of some very important stories for their faith. And what we need to realize about those stories, Jesus picks those out, I think, on purpose. And what's so intriguing, if you, if you heard it in, in the reading, is that these stories involved the Gentiles. And that was just a bad idea. <laughs> because if you're in that synagogue and you have the, the pride of being God's chosen and all that business, to suggest that God might be offering God's love and all this stuff to other people? Wait a minute. And that's exactly what Jesus said. What he's implying, maybe. And they didn't like that. And what was their response to that? Oh, there's no excuses there. We can take care of that, can't we, Jesus? Let me show you the view from our cliff, Jesus. Their response is they want to push him off a cliff. Be like, y'all chasing me to the bell tower and saying, all right, fat boy, go. Y'all wouldn't do that to me, would you? (laughs) Bishop William Willimon actually said something about this text. He said, you know, this is where preachers need to beware. Because if you get the gospel right, this is what will happen to you. And that kind of makes me think, uh, thinking about that and people trying their best to get upstairs and stuff. Um, makes me kind of look at some of the other churches I've been in, other church life, and maybe you can do the same and maybe even this church or other churches you've been a part of. You know, when a minister has said something that just <clears throat> gnawed at you so much that you just weren't going to take that and you were finally going to say something, was it more because... It just rubbed you the wrong way, or is it more because maybe there was some truth to it, that it hurt? And, he, and even the other side of that, I know how ministers can get. They think, oh, you know, I'm the spiritual leader in this place, and I got the word of God. And so when anybody tries to tell them anything, what do you know? It just doesn't work that way. This is serious stuff, I think, if if we get into it and we look at it for what it really is. Because then we have to figure out who's saying what and why. And when I think about Jesus knowing not only what would happen to him there, but knowing even that day and other days like it, what would probably happen to him, that he'd be set out, knowing he'd have to be, you know, staying away from high places because all they want to do is push him off, staying away from bell towers, even if he knew all that. He still said what needed to be said. And he still did what needed to be done. And I think you and I need to be able to thank God for people like that in our lives who are willing to do that. Who are willing to tell us what we need to hear and who are willing to do what needs to be done. Because there are plenty of excuses why we wouldn't want to do that. Hmm? But we should be thankful for those people that do. And here's the deal. When we, get, when we accept the challenge to faith, when we accept Christ's call to follow me, quite often and many times in different ways, that, that, what that means is now it's us who will kind of stand out. It's us who will kind of speak up or even show up 
for other people. And that can be very uncomfortable. But as one theologian once said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you uncomfortable. All right. It's also Mark Twain that gave us the quote that says, it's not the part of the Bibles that I don't understand that bother me. It's the one I, ones I do understand that bother me. That's why in many ways, you know, it's real important for me to stress and you know, I try to encourage and all these kinds of things that we need to be about more figuring out what this stuff means for us. You know, that's why Sunday school and studies and all these kind of retreats and things, that's why those things are important because it all helps build up not only our knowledge but even our faith and understanding and even our calling and all those kinds of things. You're never going to hear me tell you don't do those kinds of things. That'd be, that'd be unfaithful of me, in other words. But what I do want to remind us of, especially for today as we connect it all to our, to our scripture and even to where we are today in our church and our world, is that all of that stuff, speaking up, speaking out, whatever, all of that needs to come back to love. If it doesn't, what do we have? This is what we are. Some of us a little bit bigger, but, you know, this is what we are. You know, even in our, our church life and our faith life and our families and all this stuff, there's a time when we have to uh, stand with each other. And there's a time that we have to stand up for each other. There's even times when we need to, we need to stand up to each other. But if that's not done in love, what does it mean? We get our way, we make our point, we come out the winner. What good does that do anybody? It has to all come back to the love of God. I think that that's part of the reason why, in Jeremiah's call that we read about, it's part of the reason why God made it such a point to say, I am with you. God could have just very well said, you know, this is what you got to do, go on about your business and come back when you got it right. But God thought it well enough to remind Jeremiah, I am with you. And, and even Jesus, too, I, I think, you know, he could have very well said, oh, man, these church folk, they just don't get it. I better hurry up and get out of here. But I think he loved them enough to, to, to make sure that they understood what they were committing themselves to out of the love he had for them. And I think we've got to remember that as well. When we do the things that we need to do and say what we need to say. Now this was kind of the problem that Paul faced in the Corinthian church. See, what happens many times, it's a sad thing, but it's a very evident thing we see in churches too, even all this time later. As people are on the different areas in their spiritual life or as people have different interests and all those kinds of things, when those all, things all come together, uh, sometimes people can focus on one or, or more, just a certain selection of things that are important to them. And then another group kind of does the same and another group can do the same. In the Corinthian church, what, what had happened was is there was a group who were pretty big on speaking in tongues and, and gifts of the Spirit and things like that and that they those were the ultimate gifts that one could have. And so they were really all about that. And Paul never says that that's, that was wrong, that's crazy, what are you talking about? 
The problem is, at the same time, there's other people who say, well, okay, yeah, those are gifts and maybe whatnot and everything, but what you really got to be able to do is, is to learn more and to be and study and, and, and understanding more and all these kinds of things. And, of course, you know what can happen. It's very junior high-ish. We get, on our, we get in our cliques and we start here and we do our thing while they do their thing and them over there, them crazy folks, they do their thing. They do theirs at the same time professing to be one body. And Paul saw that in the Corinthian church and said, no, that's not how we do this, guys. That is not how we do this. Now I want you to do something for me. I want you to get your Bible. There's a Bible there in front of you somewhere. And turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians. Easy to find, right before 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you know, you know this chapter, don't you? What is this chapter about? Love, love is in the air, isn't it? Valentine's Day just around the corner. The best way to celebrate love is by giving. God bless you. Here's what's interesting about this 13th chapter, if you're looking at it. I think it's real important to note that the 13th chapter, the gift of love, as you probably have your, t- your, your title there, it doesn't start there. Okay, I want you to go one sentence before the very last sentence of chapter 12. I'm going to read this to you. But strive for greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So here you have this Corinthian church with everybody and their little cliques and they're fighting with one another. One thinks they're better than the other. One thinks they know more. One thinks they're more spiritual. Paul says, no. Let me show you a still more perfect way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part And we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, y'all, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. And I even reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Mm. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully 
even as I have been fully known. And now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. The greatest of these is... Love is the greatest. You see, love can make a difference in all of our lives. There's no area of our lives that we don't need more love in. Think about your family. Think about even that workplace. Think about the environment you're in every day doing whatever it is you have to do in life. You want to you really tick somebody off? Well, of course you don't. You want to love them, right? But you, but you really want to get somebody that's just trying to get you? Love them. It'll drive them nuts. Really. Just love that family member. Love that, uh, that uh, co-worker, whoever it is. Just, just love them. At the very least, maybe it'll change their relationship. Maybe it'll bring what needs to happen. Maybe that's all it's needed more. But, but, but at the very, 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 very least, in the process, you become a better disciple. John, I want to love everybody, but I mean, what does that mean? How does it look like, and what do I have to do? Well, some of you will remember a few months ago when we did one of our evening studies, the uh, seeing gray in a world of black and white. Remember that one, if you were a part of that one? Well, towards the very end, uh, Mr. Adam Hamilton, who led that study, he, uh, and I reminded the group he employed a trick. Not a trick. It's not a trick. It's a technique that is... Um, that ministers commonly use to maybe get a point across or maybe kind of put ourselves in the text. And I, I want to use that technique here with you today because I think it is uh, pretty powerful to do this. I want you to look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Everybody should do this. And I want you to look at verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read them again to you. And I want you to do something as you're reading and as you're listening. Whenever I say the word love in your mind, I want you to substitute your name. Ready? Let's do this. Love is patient. You do it to yourself if we get in trouble. We, I, don't want, I don't want people lying in church. <laughs> but let's, let's. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, and love endures all things. How'd you do? (laughs) See, as long as we can read that or do something like that, and it hurts just a little, we still got work to do, friends. We still, still got work to do in ourselves and in our relationship with each other. Sometimes in that calling, sometimes in those efforts, you know, maybe we can feel like, man, if I do that, if I'm reaching out that way, I won't have the right things to say. Maybe I'm not the one really to do it. 
Or maybe I feel like I'm going to be pushed off the cliff too. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, that you and I have the calling to live a life of love. And I don't want to hear any excuses. In Jesus' name.